sisters. I purchased them at a trading post you once visited. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have Sue. Hi, everybody. And green-skinned Grace. Sup, my babies. And we are going to be doing an exciting topic today, as usual. Before we do that, we just have a quick little bit of housekeeping, which is to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon. This is how we support our podcast. We are entirely listener supported. It helps us make this show for you every two weeks and do convention reporting and things like that. So, you know, Grace just got back from Geek Girl Con. So thank you for your support. In exchange, you get various perks like access to exclusive behind the scenes content. And one of our patron levels, the perk is that you get to suggest a topic for us. So today's topic, which is Orion women, was actually suggested by our patron Bonnie. So thanks to Bonnie for your support and the great topic idea. Totally. This is this is a dense one. Well, get ready to dive deep, everybody. <laughs> Just get ready to dive into this. Yes. In this case, this topic, there aren't a lot of episodes that actually feature Orions or Orion women in particular, but there is a lot to talk about, even just from what little we see. So I'm I'm excited to discuss it. And we're going to go chronologically because when we look at Orions, they started out a certain way. And then when they were brought back in Enterprise, there was an attempt to sort of make them more palatable for a modern audience. But we're going to start. We say attempt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we're going to start right at the beginning with the cage. And we're not going to talk about what Enterprise introduced us to in terms of the retcon until we get to Enterprise. Yeah, you're using chronologically to mean chronologically by air date. Yes, and not by star date. Right. All right. So hopefully that all makes sense. So we're starting with... <laughs> The pilot of the original series, The Cage, in which basically the green-skinned space babe trope was created. It's always been a little bit uncomfortable to me that like one of the iconic images from Star Trek is a slave girl. Mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this is the character of Vina in one of her various incarnations as one of Captain Pike's fantasies. And she's described as an Orion animal woman, but like she's basically in a harem and Pike is watching her dance. And yeah, I mean, I think that this is it's fundamentally the biggest problem with this discussion is like, it's not the fact that she's sexy. It's not the fact that she's dancing sexily. It's the fact that she's a slave and that that is supposed to be an idea that's titillating to men. Right. And I think it's actually in the menagerie when they use the footage again, that it's Kirk who refers to her as the slave girl. Mm -hmm. Also, just referring to a grown woman as girl when she's, you know, sexily performing for your entertainment. A little creepy. Yeah, that's yet another issue with this. <laughs> and trust me, we're going to have a few. So, I mean... It's worth noting that this was really pushing the envelope for TV for the time. And this was pretty much Gene Roddenberry's idea uh, the, in the documentary, The Green Girl, which is an excellent documentary about oh, Susan absolutely. Oliver, the actress who played Vina. Uh, 
the fact that they called it the Green Girl instead of one of her many other roles points to how iconic this performance is. But um, there's a lot of people just talking about how captivating it was to see this green woman dance. And uh, Larry Nemechek is quoted in this movie and says it was Gene's way of pushing that censorship envelope as much as he could. So this was very much designed to make happy a straight male audience. (laughs) Oh, it's pretty clear. Yeah. There's just sex being thrown right at the screen. Yeah. Yeah. But she is a very good dancer, though. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like this is a, a good place to introduce the concept of the male gaze for any listeners who aren't familiar with it. And this is this comes from feminist film theory from the theorist Laura Mulvey in the 70s. And uh, she talks about how basically conventional Hollywood film is created for three male audiences. And we can put before male in brackets, like straight cis male audiences, that there is the male viewer who is consuming the image of the sexualized, objectified woman. There is the male character who is also watching that. So in this case, Pike and the other men that are kind of like, you know, laughing and ogling her. And then the male director behind the camera. And the idea is, like, it's not the same as being attracted to or being aroused by, but it's that these male audiences don't regard the woman as, like, a complicated, complex character with her own needs and desires. And because she's actually literally a slave in this, it it can't really be better illustrated than this example. Yeah, I think this is also a great place to talk about the Jezebel stereotype, Mm -hmm. because... Believe it or not, you know, the, the Orion slave girl is not only sexist, but it's actually racist as well. Um, so the Jezebel stereotype, especially in, you know, the slavery era of the U.S., was used to sort of dehumanize, not even sort of, to dehumanize black women by calling them animal-like and saying they have an insatiable appetite for sex. And... This was was used to say that, you know, the, the black men weren't enough for the black women and therefore desired to have sexual relations with their owners, which is just disgusting to even say. Um, and therefore, when when white men had sex with their their black female slaves, it they didn't consider it rape. And we're seeing the same terminology used when these characters are talking about the Orion women, the animal-like sexuality, the insatiable appetite for sex. And it's just really disturbing when you look at it from, from that angle. Especially considering that Star Trek has this recurrent theme of using alien species as a analogy for racism. And if we go by that standard, then we're seeing a pretty negative racial view here. And again, like, it's not the fact that you're showing scantily clad women at all. It's that, like, at least in this point in the franchise, we see Vina as this example, and we're presumably there are others um, who it's like their desires are not important. In fact, they are being literally oppressed, enslaved, and that the response isn't being appalled the response is "Ooh, this is kind of hot at no point does one of the guys go oh my god is someone gonna help this woman you know or to like try to figure out like hey 
what what got you here and how could I support you? Or, wow, uh, do you guys really treat women like this? What the heck? It's supposed to be Pike's fantasy, too, which is additionally creepy. Like, Pike, get it together, man. Yeah, I mean, we see the Telosians are, they're off the mark with what Pike wants, so it can't be read as, you know, what he would choose if he had any choice in the world of women. But um, they are drawing things from his memories, and they draw other things that he is somewhat attracted to, so... Yeah, I mean, and it is telling that, like, Vina, the Orion woman, has her own action figure. I think actually a few of them. Mm. Yeah, she was one of the first um, Funko figures of any woman they did for Star Trek, right? That is true. They did. She was the only woman in the first line of Funkos. She she wasn't called Vina. She was just called Orion woman, but she's dressed in that same outfit. And it is kind of a little gross. Also, um, could she not stand up on her own? She, yeah, she was the first Funko to be so thin sh- that they required a base to stand up. <laughs> also telling, yeah. Um, but I mean, just goes to speak to how like that was presented and is continues to be accepted. I think by a lot of fans is kind of unproblematic that you would just watch this and totally not question whether that was an appropriate reaction to a situation of sexual slavery is that's the part that gets a little weirds me out a little bit yeah it's worth getting weirded out over there's is too that like this orion culture that they're creating that the writers are creating doesn't exist in a vacuum like real people in the real world are are writing this stuff and i think i mean we'll get there but i think it's even more upsetting um with when we get to enterprise because you know, the it, it's as if some people think that slavery doesn't exist anymore in this world, when yeah. in fact it does, and it's a huge problem. And sex trafficking is everywhere, mm-hmm. and it's a huge problem. And in in some ways, it's almost treated like a joke, in addition to being treated like a fantasy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's upsetting. Certainly. Yeah, but if we're done with the cage, let's move on to, I would say, maybe not what you would expect for your second example of an Orion woman, which is Marta in Whom Gods Destroy. Certainly, uh, as a kid, I didn't really remember this episode. And then when I went back and watched it, I was like, oh, there was an Orion woman that wasn't. uh, Well, I mean, you know. I guess you can debate how much agency she really has. She starts out as a prisoner in a mental asylum and she ends up sort of controlled more or less by Garth of Izar. But she has character and she's rebelling against other people trying to control her. So seeing Marta, it makes me really question what the Orion culture is, right? Because the the syndicate is described like on Memory Alpha as a criminal organization. But we don't know if the syndicate controls all of Orion or all of the Orions. So are they the governing body or are they an organization that operates within the culture, but is not representative of the culture? Like, do you, do you know mm. what I mean? Like are all of the yeah. women slaves and this is how their society works or is it just this one group? Again, it's really unfortunate that these are the only women we see of the entire species. Yeah. Like, are they a government or are they a gang? And I don't think that's, Super, like it's clear they're criminals. It's clear that they include pirates and slave traders, but 
they don't seem to have a problem with that. So who's governing them? Right. But Marta isn't, I don't think, ever described as a slave. No, and she's not actually called Orion either, except for I believe she's in the script. Mm -hmm. And no, I mean, we start out, we don't know why, we never find out why she's been institutionalized. Uh, but she knows Shakespeare. She thinks she wrote it, but she knows it. Uh, and Longfellow. And yeah, so she's, she's educated, clearly. Yeah. And she's creative. While, you know, she does dance. It's described as kind of childish. Like Spock finds it, her dancing childish and nostalgic. It's not, I don't think, I think it's supposed to be a bit more disturbing and not so much sexy as Either that cage. Or child dancing on Vulcan is really yeah, weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had that thought. <laughs> you can't not have that thought. I was like, let's see you do it, Spock. Or his lying and just trying to make them angry. Oh, that's possible, yeah. She also has uh, a couple great lines like the, why can't I just blow off one of his ears? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, just let me break one kneecap. One kneecap. That's all I ask. Yeah, and like making out with Kirk and then pulls a knife on him. I, I think like she's a really cool character. And it is really, I think, tragic that Garth apparently kills her in order to just demonstrate how powerful he is to Kirk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but one thing I wondered upon watching it was like the intent of the writers. And I wasn't able to find a lot in These Are the Voyages um, or anywhere about how they intended her to be, whether you, cause it starts out at the very beginning of this episode, the enterprise goes to this asylum planet. They've basically found a cure for mental illness. So they've, they're going to deliver this injection to the population and they get there and the governor comes to meet them, governor Corey, and he's escorting them by Marta's cell. And she says basically like, Kirk, you're making a mistake. First of all, there's nothing wrong with me. And even Spock's like, yeah, she seems totally rational. And Governor Corey's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, she's she's just making this up. And she's like, Governor Corey isn't who he says he is. And it makes me wonder whether she was supposed to be right at the beginning or whether we're just not supposed to analyze it that much. And she was just supposed to be, you know, for lack of a better term, crazy because they're depicting this as like kind of comical comically charactered versions of mental illness. Charming. What if she was right and there wasn't anything wrong with her? She was right that Governor Corey wasn't Governor Corey. He's Garth of Izar in disguise. So what if Kirk had listened to her? Uh, yeah. Would she have, like, still conspired with Garth of Izar? Or was it just that because he was the most powerful person there and for her own safety she did that? Well, there's an interesting question. I would like to think that's what it is. Yeah. It'd be nice. It'd be a, the nicer option. Doesn't really work out for her. Yeah. Still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Garth of Izar is definitely abusive. And I mean, even before he kills her, obviously, but um, he, you know, he calls her a stupid cow, which was mm -hmm. apparently a scene that was cut out in one version of the, the um, show. And uh, he's, you know, just insulting her, bossing her around, and then ultimately committing violence against her. That's very sad. Angry making. Well, you know, we have an okay example for the next one. <laughs> I think I feel like we're on we're on the upswing, I feel like. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we have the animated series, an Orion woman makes a 
brief but but memorable appearance in the episode The Time Trap. So this is the woman Devna, who is, this is the one where like a bunch of people from different alien species are all pulled together and they've formed this governing council. And the woman's name is Devna and she has become the interpreter of laws for the council. And she is also a dancer. Of course, because <laughs> that's just what they do. Also, for the record, if we were really catty, we could have called this episode a time trap. <laughs> I think we're going to call it It's Not That Easy Being Green. <laughs> Which is my favorite thing we might have ever done. But yeah, she is their interpreter of laws on this council, which shows that she is at the very least capable and educated, even if she does say that she wishes she could be back on Orion dancing. <laughs> Well, yeah, and there is nothing actually wrong about dancing. Like, no, of absolutely course. not. It's just or, funny that it's such a big priority to every Orion woman we've seen. Well, just about every Orion woman we've seen in the entirety of the franchise. Sans one. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's just that I think this is a better take on it because at least she's herself expressing the desire to dance instead of That's being true. ordered to dance by Garth of Izar or being enslaved into dancing. So, Oh my god, you guys, imagine if like competitive dance is really big on Orion. <laughs> I'm just saying some world building opportunity here. Like every mom is a dance mom. Imagine it. <laughs> Think of all the amazing, terrible television. Oh my god, reality <laughs> show on TV must be the most intensely bad. Can you imagine an Orion Abby Lee Miller? They invented Dancing with the Stars, you guys. <laughs> I could see them having done that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Orion Syndicate probably produces some really quality reality TV. <laughs> Maybe that's what made them criminal in the first place. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Headcanon accepted. Yeah, but I mean, okay, so definitely we get to see her express desire to dance, but we also get to see her doing what seems like a pretty important governing role in this society. So overall, I think not a half bad interpretation of an Orion woman. I'll take it. Yeah. Once again, the animated series surprises us in terms of, oh, hey, ism. Mm-hmm. All right. I know that the Enterprise episode we're all really eager to talk about is Bound, but very quickly before we get into Bound, we do see an Orion woman in one episode before that in uh, Enterprise. And this is, of course, in season four when, you know, Manny Koto had taken over as showrunner and he was eager to inject more fan service uh, homages because that's what Enterprise was really lacking, honestly. I mean, they had the rubbing <laughs> down and the seek and the sparkled goo and and just random nudity and 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 all that jazz. But really, why weren't they thinking about the fan service? They just forgot it happened. I mean, Enterprise was so chronically unsexual. I mean, well, thank God. I. I'm particularly referring to homages to TOS, a type fan service, so not just, like, sexy time, but... You mean it wasn't just the decontamination gel? Yeah. <laughs> Some Maybe Freud was right. Maybe the decontamination gel is just gel that you're rubbing on someone's body. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, what happens to the part that your clothes were covering? There are so many goddamn yeah. questions. Those parts are contaminated. <laughs> forever forever contaminated with sexiness <laughs> <laughs> 
It's catching. All right. Well, let's save that for the Women of Enterprise episode. But um, (laughs) in season four, they started really uh, increasing the number of homages to uh, original series and a little bit of TNG. So um, we get the Augments arc. And there is an episode in that, the first one called Borderland, where they end up in an Orion slave market. So, yeah, T'Pol gets auctioned off because, you know, it's Enterprise and that's the kind of thing that happens to T'Pol. That's comfortable to watch also, her hanging like a rag doll. Just the image of her being held up hanging like a little rag doll, it's, that is the iconic image from Enterprise for me. Yeah, I'm being told how great it is that she got so much money for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if there's one thing a woman knows, it's her loves knowing it's her market value. So in this episode, Archer goes to rescue his crew members who have been abducted and are being sold as slaves. And with him is Ark Soong, played by Brent Spiner, who's the whatever great, 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 great grandfather of Nudian Soong. And, uh... He is showing Archer around the borderlands where the Orions operate. And Archer is super incredulous that the Orions sell their own people because they put this Orion woman up on the stand. She's dressed in this like typical sort of slave girl, really skimpy outfit. And Arik Soong says, only the women. Orion females are known for their extreme appetites, their innate skills. So more kind of like creeping on enslaved women. The Orion woman in that episode doesn't say anything, but I thought it was important to mention because as of like six episodes before Bound, the situation for the Orions, the way that they were portrayed, hasn't really changed. Well, it's important to note because what, nine of his crew members were actually kidnapped and and attempted to be sold on the slave market? Yep. And it's only a few episodes later that that he has the attitudes that, that he does in Bound. Mm-hmm. And they don't really seem to go together. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, like, it's interesting briefly to look at. It was surprising to me seeing this slave market that it was basically, like, equal numbers of men and women. And we're kind of left to imagine what they're selling them for. And we do see one woman buyer, but I still feel like they're assuming the audience assumes men are being sold for labor and women are being sold for sex. Wouldn't it be ironic, though, if that woman's, like, you know, slave dancer getup was actually her coal mining gear. <laughs> Just saying. That seems very impractical. It would be a twist on on what we expected. Well, and the comment that they make about to Paul, the the slave uh, merchant guy, makes some kind of comment that you know she fetched more than his first wife or something. So it you it know. is implied that she's being put in that same category. That it's not like, oh, look at you, you'll be great cleaning the floors. Yeah. At least making me glad they didn't put T'Pol in a slave girl outfit. Oh, thank God. I know. Small miracle there. Yeah. Very small. And um, also we can kind of get that assumption from what Arik Soong says about Orion females are known for their extreme appetites, their innate skills, which... That's some real... So, real yeah. I don't think, again, he is saying that they're selling them for hard labor. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, basically we got the same narrative that we had back in the original series of Star Trek until the episode Bound. So... Bound, 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 bound. Sue, I know you watched this like two days ago. 
Uh, <laughs> do you want to give a brief synopsis? Jared knows this because I was messaging her during it, complaining about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the episode where the Orion women go from Jezebels to sirens. Uh, the difference being that uh, the siren trope is really about how uh, women can't control the fact that these men are drawn to them. And they're, they're using it to manipulate them, uh, because this is where we learned that these Orion women have pheromones that mess up the men and make them extra aggressive and like sexual, because if Star Trek has taught us anything, it's that violence and sexuality go hand in hand. That and that men just can't be held accountable when they're sexually aroused. Exactly. And it makes all the women around them uh, get headaches and get tired and irritable to, quote, eliminate the competition. So <laughs> with that um, out of the way, super heteronormative. But yeah. um, so Archer happens across this this Orion trade ship where the captain, they, they do some sort of deal because the captain says he knows where where something is that they need. And, you know, they they make some sort of agreement. And then Archer accepts a, quote, gift of three slave women from this captain. It's like cookie baskets in their culture, really. Right. And it, it feels like an endorsement of the slave trade. Plot goes on, we figure out it's a trap. But in the meantime, on the Enterprise, the women are causing a distraction. And that's where we learn that, uh, about these pheromones and um Flax is trying to figure out if he can inoculate the crew so they won't fall victim to these sirens. Because remember, men are just victims of women's wiles. Right. And at the very, very end is when we learn that it's actually the men who are the slaves and the women have been pulling t- the strings the entire time. Because that's not anything that we've ever culturally been told over and over again that the women back in the kitchen are actually the ones culturally in control. Right. And they, they manipulate the men and then control the situation and make them sell, make the men sell them into slavery because they quote, like it, I guess. Yeah. Cause you know, they're not helpless victims. They are cruel and exploitative harpies. Right. And one of them, uh, when, when Archer tries to tell them, you're not my property, you're my guest. One of them says to him that even if she weren't a slave, she would want to please him because she can't imagine any other kind of life. Yeah. So, but I mean, let me go back a step here because there's, I mean, the overall narrative is pretty messed up. Starting with, like you said, this whole thing about basically Archer just bought into the Orion slave trade, like sex sex trafficking. Yeah. Um, where, so the captain, the Orion captain, whose name is Herod, he says like, they can make you forget most of your troubles. Of course, creatures such as these come with troubles of their own, but women are the same throughout the galaxy, aren't they? Which feels Ugh. like such an original series line in a not good way. Yeah. Yeah, this might not be the best tribute here, guys. Yeah, and so, like, Archer and Reed, and is it Tucker who's there at the beginning, or is it just Archer and Reed? I think it's just Archer and Reed. Yeah, and they're both just like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) they are. No one's like, um, we don't really say things like that anymore. (laughs) Like, yeah, even just that part. And uh, so... 
Then they come on board the ship and like immediately the women start getting headaches. And to Paul, who's like basically the closest we get to a voice of reason in this episode, she goes and complains to Phlox about her, her headache. No, that's Hoshi. Oh, sorry, Hoshi. Yeah. Right. To Paul's the one who's like, I thought the Federation was against slavery, Captain. And he's like, yes. no, whatever. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> right. So yeah. So that's where I was going with that was that um, so Archer his conversation that he has with the woman about, hey, you can't actually be my slave because I can't own you. That's super reluctant because T'Pol keeps badgering him about like, I didn't really think the Federation should have slaves. But even then, like, she's kind of meek about it. Yeah. And then, yeah, Hoshi has a headache and goes to sickbay and flocks instead of being like, yeah, you're right. It's like two thirds of the crew, the men on board aren't actually doing their jobs anymore. What the heck is going on? He's just like, I didn't think you were the jealous type. <sighs> yeah. But then like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't even really that satisfied with T'Pol's strength of bringing out that perspective in this episode. And when I reviewed this for Trekkie Feminist, I wrote about like the difference between this and the perfect mate, which is not remotely perfect. But like Crusher makes a way better case for the rights of the woman in that episode and a case that is much harder for the audience to ignore than to Paul does for the women in this episode. Of course she does. Cause she's the best. And cause they can't write to Paul. Well, also that, <laughs> but also to Paul and t the reason to Paul's not affected her and Tucker because true love. Well, she's not affected cause she's Vulcan. Tucker's not affected because they have this mental whatever now that they did it. Sex gives you superpowers, guys. Spread the word. Well, it yep. was more like monogamy gives you superpowers. Is <laughs> a lot about this episode is frustrating, but I can't get past that in both TOS and Enterprise. It's as if the the Federation is just willing to turn a blind eye to the slave trade in order to not get involved in a war, like in order to have a somewhat peaceful relationship with the Orion Syndicate. They're just like, okay, you, you you, do you. Yeah. Which is funny considering how many things uh, they have been willing to go to war over. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like just in case this wasn't 100% clear that because I do know people who think, wow, this is a, such a fun twist on the original and it makes it okay now because the women weren't victims. But again, saying that women aren't these like passive sexualized victims, instead they're evil demon seductresses. It's just like training in one stere bad stereotype for another. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still encouraged to ogle them while you're at it. It's kind of, it's not trading up so much as just trading in a different direction on the exact same level. Yes. Um, we did have some listener comments about Bound, though. Grace, do you want to read one of them? Okay. Listener Matthias, is it Matthias or Matthias? Maddie T. <laughs> He said on Bound, they tried to reverse the trope by revealing that women are actually the leaders in Orion society, but it just ends up feeling like a throwaway line to justify 40 minutes of half-naked fan service. And if they really could control everyone through pheromones, a bogus stereotype, which I'm sure Sue's Science Corner can dismantle <laughs> in five minutes, yes. <laughs> they wouldn't even need to be half-naked. The pheromone seduction trope just keeps appearing in various sci-fi shows, and it never works. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely gonna have to agree with you. If they are already able to have superhuman seduction abilities, they don't really need to go the extra mile with the with the sparkly bikinis, do they? Unless they're <laughs> just really committing, like, razzle-dazzle-wise. I mean, for all I know, we know that on Orion, showmanship, because of their, you know, dance-intensive cultural background, could just be <laughs> a major priority. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, when they aren't barefoot, they're wearing tap shoes. Yeah. In case a number breaks out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I could control everyone around me, you can be sure that I would be wearing pajamas 24-7. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are, and that's just, they have the level of control that everyone just thinks they're wearing awesome outfits when they're all really just wearing sweats. Mm. Oh, like in Mud's Women. Exactly, except more <laughs> intentional. Oh, man. Why are you dressed so provocatively? These are yoga pants. (laughs) We had another comment from friend of the show, Will, who says, The bound retcon is Enterprise trying to be too cute by half and tries to provide a modern, real-world justification for the 60s objectification of exotic alien harem women. Except it just doesn't work. The Orions deserve to be explored as meaningful characters in the same way that the Vulcans and Dorians and the Cardassians were, and not just as perpetual, one-dimensional, sexy green aliens that only cater to the male gaze and horny straight dudes. So let's yeah. add that to my, uh, to uh, at least my Star Trek Discovery wish list. Something where we actually get to see an Orion who's a character and not a, you know, sexy cardboard cutout. That'd be nice. Uh, so you mentioned, like, the Jezebel trope, but... We have to mention, too, that, like, this harem women thing is, um, it's also an example of Orientalism, which we've talked about previously, this idea of sort of exoticized alien cultures, and in this case, the fact that, you know, you have sort of this take on belly dancing and, like, veils and uh, metal, like, sort of jingly belly dance type jewelry, and the atmospheres that you see them dancing in is is really, like, kind of appropriating these parts of varieties of different Eastern cultures and like making it this weird exoticized Orientalist male fantasy. And it's pretty gross. Yep. Okay. So is that all we have to say about Bound? Frankly, the less said about Bound, the better. So now we have one last canon Orion woman that we have to talk about, which is the very, very brief appearance of Gala, Uhura's roommate in Star Trek 2009. She has two scenes. She gets lines in one. Yeah. <laughs> but she's in Starfleet Academy. That's at least a, mo- a step in the right direction. She has two scenes in one in, you know, she gets lines in one. But this is the appearance that really led me down probably my most research before this episode because I'm trying to figure out why slash how an Orion woman is at Starfleet Academy. Like, and and the explanation is nowhere. Did something happen after the Kelvin incident that caused relations with the the Orion Syndicate or the Orion world or whatever to to be at a point where there are other Orions living and working on Earth and in Starfleet? Because there's not just her. We see other green-skinned people in wide shots in the background and there's no explanation given and there are no really other green-skinned aliens maybe they're she's a refugee or she sought asylum or something yeah so that was the explanation which i think is on the blu-ray features uh roberto orsi we're gonna say that i'm saying that correctly said that he 
uh, you know, he was asked, well, how did Orion get there? And uh, he said, well, he would expect that there would be some kind of underground railroad smuggling people out of lives of slavery in the Orion syndicate. So the source I was able to find for that quote, because I definitely mm-hmm. came upon it as well, is not on the internet anymore. It's from an interview that was actually done with Jordan, who does the who does the Engage podcast now. But you can get the full interview if you use the Wayback Machine, you know, the archive.org Wayback Machine. Okay. And I actually have a link to it if we want to put it in the show notes. But it's it's him asking her, like, how does Uhura have an Orion roommate? And what's noted right after that is nervous laughter. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Jordan throws out his theory. And that's when Orsi says the how it's transcribed here is or dot, dot, dot. There's an underground railroad of some kind. So I I don't think, while this is often cited as like, this was his idea that this is what Mm -hmm. it might be, based on the original source material, it seems more just kind of like spitballing. Okay. You know, so I don't, I don't know how much stock we want to put into that explanation. I, certainly it's not canon. Yeah. It's a explanation. I don't think that that was their top of mind. Certainly they were trying no. to make a sexy woman for Kirk to sleep with. And and the green girl is iconic. Yeah. And there's a discussion about how they gave her red hair because it was so hot to see the red hair with the green skin. Merry Christmas. Yeah, but I mean, apparently there was a, a deleted scene where uh, Kirk sends Gala an email which contains his chi patch for the Kobayashi Maru that she had basically, he basically used her computer lab access to help him cheat on the Kobayashi Maru. But I guess like this, you know, so that's not really cool. But the cool part about that is that she she was sort of like a computery, sciencey type person. Which is cool, definitely. And definitely adds more actual characterization to her. Yeah. So, I mean, in the IDW comics that have come out since that movie and which take place in, in the Kelvin universe, she gets a backstory, which is that her father uh, saved her and from from being sold into slavery. Her like mother was going to sell her and her brother into slavery father saves them, takes them to Earth. Her brother really wants to join Starfleet Academy and her, and so she does as well against her father's wishes. And later her mom kidnaps her back. Sorry, spoilers for the comics. I mean, yeah, so I mean, if you do want to find out more about her non-canon backstory, but obviously like the, uh, the comics series for IDW is very intimately tied into the production team for the movies so and there's some fun stuff in there yeah so i would uh, check that out if you want to learn some more about gala my favorite tying in detail in those comics is that they draw in the lens flare so that that that's consistent well there is um an article i found again while doing some research for this on on lady geek girl Mm -hmm. uh, talking about you know examining these stereotypes and the orion women and uh, the author makes a suggestion about how they really had a chance to sort of set right all the issues with, with the Orion women and suggested that, you know, imagine if somebody was, you know, shooting off these stereotypes that we know from, from TOS and Enterprise towards Gala and Uhura had the chance to say, you know, these are the same stereotypes that were used to enslave my people centuries ago. Oh, cool. And imagine, you know, shutting that down. And she mm-hmm. gives several examples of how this could have worked. And it just, 
it sounds so cool and also so powerful and reminded me of a measure of a man as everything always does. And that scene with Guinan and Picard, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how great would that have been? Yeah. That sounds super cool. Unfortunately, they would have had to, you know, they would have had to make her a more important character to justify spending that extra time on her. <laughs> Although, I mean, I guess it would have illustrated something about Uhura as well, but I mean, the those first two movies really lacked a lot of interesting women characters, so it would have been cool to see Gala given more of a role. So one interesting thing of note, which is, again, blink and you'll miss it, but in Star Trek Into Darkness, there is a star chart in Admiral Marcus's office that has a section labeled Orion Union. Mm. So if, you know, to what we were talking about before, maybe there was an event because of the Kelvin incident that changed that part of history and now there's an Orion Union instead of an Orion Syndicate? Or maybe the Orion Syndicate is a criminal organization that operates within the Orion Union? But I feel like because I brought it up earlier, I should point out that that is there in Into Darkness. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so we don't usually get into a lot of non-canon materials when we're doing our main episodes. Um, And I know, though, that we have talked about doing an episode just on some of the Star Trek fan films and fan series. But for this discussion, I particularly wanted to talk about an episode of Star Trek Continues called Lolani, because it is another modern day take on the Orion Slave Girl, and it tries to retcon it in a very different way than Enterprise does. Did anyone else get a chance to watch this? I haven't, I'm afraid. I have. For anyone who's not familiar with Star Trek Continues, you should watch it. Um, But it essentially tries to fill out the last years of the five-year mission. So the episodes that didn't get made because TOS was was cancelled. But it is with a more modern sensibility. So like there is a woman counselor as an additional female character who is awesome. And just a little bit more sensitivity to modern politics and diversity, I guess. So in Lolani, they come across a ship where a bunch of people have been killed and they rescue an Orion slave girl who may have killed them all. And Lolani in this episode, that's the name of the slave girl. And she basically begs them not to return her to her master. And Kirk is very sensitive to her argument, but the Federation is ordering him to return her because of their need to maintain good diplomatic relationships. They can't afford to annoy the Orions and they don't have any proof of what she's saying, etc. She uses her pheromones, so they do maintain that aspect from Enterprise, to try to convince uh, sort of seduce a security guard to help her escape. Uh, but that plan fails. And ultimately, even though everyone knows she's going back to this super abusive slave master, who's played by Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. She has to go back. And she ends up uh, killing herself and the master by blowing up the ship as it departs. And she leaves a videotaped message that she hopes will inspire a revolution to end sex slavery on Orion. Yeah, she tells us that she was not born on Orion and was not raised in that culture. 
but I guess was then captured. And because she is an Orion woman, she is automatically a slave is the impression that's given. Mm -hmm. And here's where they, you know, outright say that they're going to return a slave because they want to keep good diplomatic relations. And it's just, it's so unsettling. And there's even a line in this episode, I think it's a Kirk line, where he says the Federation will not commit an act of war over one slave. Mm -hmm. And just in that way, I think it, it kind of like it feels like the what what the Enterprise episode should have been, because this is the kind of politics that we do see in Enterprise more often. Mm -hmm. But you have to see them acknowledge what is horribly wrong with it, right? And that they still like understand what the right thing to do is, but it's a tough decision. Whereas in Enterprise, we don't we don't even get barely that. Yeah, so it's worth noting that these are supposed to be you know, the fourth and fifth season of the original series, but mm. they were created after Enterprise aired. Yes. So that canon exists and they're, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's what I mean is they brought in the pheromones, but they, right. they did not suggest that all Orion women were controlling all Orion men. Right. And they were able to inoculate the crew against the pheromones in this episode. Yeah. And they kind of seem to like put in a bit of a way of explaining away what happened in Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they, they really did, though. There's this whole, like, big exposition. Where they're like, oh, they were in charge, but now they're not in charge again. Yeah, 70 years ago, the women were in charge and then and, and held dominion over the men. And then there was a revolt and the civil war and the men gained control. But instead of abolishing the slave trade, they made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I still, I feel like this representation is the best attempt at, like, here's how you should analyze this situation. Yeah, I mean, we're making fun of it, clearly, but I, I actually really liked That's Olani, and I liked that her her entire motivation was to, to change things. Mm -hmm. Like, she kept saying over and over again, I want to be a force for change. I want to see this be different. I want to fix this. And that was her whole goal. It wasn't just to get away from her slaver. It was to, to change the entire system. Damn, that's mm -hmm. the most proactive Orion we've seen so far. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like in some ways it reminded me of possibly better ended version of the outcast in some ways too, that she's this character who sees what's wrong with her society. The Federation isn't totally able to help her out, but everyone understands that she's on the right side of this thing, except for at the end of this, instead of being like brainwashed, she basically decides to martyr herself. And it's, I think it's powerful. Yeah, I think overall, is this is one of the best Star Trek stories, even though it's not canon, mm -hmm. that, that is dealing with this. But there are just, there are problems with the tropes, I think, no matter what you do. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if this had been an actual episode of, say... I don't know, just say you would put this episode like in the next generation or something, you would have kind of run out of stories at some point, unless you're going to constantly be revisiting this revolution taking place. It, it kind of felt like it felt like it fit uh, a bit more for this episodic television. And it felt yeah, like you you could trust that you could guess that things were going to be okay, ultimately on Orion. Yeah, although there is a brief mention on Deep Space Nine in an episode that the Orion Slave Girls are still one of the most popular holosuite programs. Yeah. So they're still around in that era. 
Yeah, or at least the programs of them are. We don't know whether, like... The the fantasy is. The fantasy survives. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, certainly if, if it had been exposed as, like, an intergalactic barbaric thing that you would hope that people would have a bit more issue with having the fantasy of it. But there's a lot of weird shit that happens in the Hollow Suites. Yeah. Not super enlightened. And it's it's, they're not all Federation people coming there. So so before we wrap up, we had a question for, or a couple questions and comments, I guess, from people about the MAC makeup line and like how we felt about the fact that one of the four women they picked was an Orion slave girl. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, again, it is a very iconic Star Trek image. So it makes sense that when they're thinking what is, you know, the image of beauty that people are going to automatically think of when they think of Star Trek. It, I don't, I'm not crazy about it, but it does make sense that they picked it. Yeah, it's certainly from an I- iconic image point of view. Because, I mean, she's not a recurring character. Like one individual Orion woman is not a recurring character. Mm-hmm. But if you ask somebody in the general public what they know about, you know, Star Trek and women and makeup, they're going to probably think of the green girl. They're mm-hmm. probably going to say sexy alien chick. Right. So it it makes sense in that way. I think from a design standpoint, it is also like an obvious way to get some unusual colors into the palette. Because otherwise there is like a lot of gold and silver and like purples that I think you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, sort of like it's the same kind of question that you you get with the the line of Funko Pop figures. Why choose the Orion Slave Girl over Uhura? Or in the case of of Mac, why choose the Orion Slave Girl over you know our our first woman captain and Captain Janeway, or first woman captain to lead a series before I get all Erica Hernandez up in here. <laughs> you know, there are, are lots of of women in the Star Trek universe that they could have chosen from. Um, and I I think there are lots of factors to it. But I, I feel like the people at Mac didn't... It wasn't like they were going, hey, slaves. They were going, like, who are the iconic, sexy women of Star Trek? Yeah, I don't think it, it was just random. I don't think they, like, looked at people and chose something. But I, I would be curious if, if that question was posed to them directly. Like, how do you, how do you resolve the fact that one of the four women you chose is technically a sex slave? Yeah, I really would like to hear a response to that. Yeah, I mean, my preference would have been that they scrapped the Orion woman in favor of, say, I would have said Dax because there wasn't a woman from Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And I think you could have gone with interesting blues that weren't yeah. didn't end up in the line instead of greens. Janeway and uh, I don't think has like an iconic enough palette yeah. that you could go with. And same with Kira. I don't know. I think some of her stuff, like her colors could be covered by other people. Crusher would be another person who would have blues, but you have Troy there. So my preference would have been say, scrap the Orion and go with Dax. But I think that when you, you know, hold those characters all together, Dax doesn't really stand up to those other ones as as iconic as Uhura or even Seven of Nine because there wasn't that same like sexy alien babe marketing mm-hmm. or just the history when you look at Uhura and the awesome class of Nichelle Nichols. So yeah, I mean, it didn't, uh, I wouldn't say that it made me super upset, but I think it could have gone a different way. And I don't, I don't think that it was deliberate, like, let's make this a slave, but it was about just trying to cover different aspects of color range and 
iconic characters. So yeah, we have a couple listener comments that I wanted to do to sort of close out the show. So Sue, do you want to read the comment from Karen? Absolutely. So Karen wrote, I think that the stories based around the Orion women are bringing back the tropes of the siren, the classic sailor stories of women who call to them, cause chaos for them and their ships. I think that they were also brought on as eye candy, but I'm glad that we have these characters to love slash hate. Plus, they are awesome fun to cosplay. Um, Grace, do you want to read the comment from Brooke? Sure. Brooke says, it's an interesting take, but the idea that the women secretly control the men via pheromones while maintaining the guise of sex slaves is, well, it doesn't hold up, does it? Especially considering that's never mentioned again. Why wouldn't Orion women use this advantage to put themselves in a better position? It makes no sense. So that is a comment, obviously, mostly on Bound. But I thought it was interesting that it'd be like, why wouldn't they use the advantage to put themselves in a better position? If I was in control of a massive crime syndicate, I would not make myself the backup dancer. (laughs) Would not be my first choice. Yeah, at least not as like my full-time job. All right, do we have any other final thoughts on Orion women? I'm not green with envy of their position. (laughs) (laughs) Karen's comment actually made me think about Leia and and the slave Leia Mm -hmm. costume. And uh, I know that we're Star Trek, but I'm going to war for a little bit. (laughs) And that, you know, there are tons and tons of women who cosplay as Leia in the metal bikini. Mm Mm-hmm. But so many of them, when you talk to them about it, uh, and I think if this is the Karen, I think it is, she is one of these women who (laughs) says that, you know, when I'm cosplaying in this costume, I'm not Slave Leia. I'm Leia the Hut Slayer. Mm -hmm. So this character in this scene is, is put in this position and then takes control of the situation and kills her oppressor with her chains. And it's so incredible. And I just wish that there was something like that in the canon for the Orion women. That would be so nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there's an element of being like, I'm cosplaying an icon. And hey, it's fun to paint myself all green. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and, you know, as as a person who's doing cosplay, you have agency that that character didn't necessarily have. So yeah, you oh, can absolutely. be doing it in a way and find that empowering for you. The problem is that the source character was someone who had no agency, if you're looking at Vina, at least. Yeah. It's not easy being green, and it's not easy discussing women being green. That's <laughs> no. what we've learned today. Yeah, that is true. Well, I hope you all enjoyed our episode for today. Grace, where could people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. And Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And you can find me on Twitter at Penguin. That's at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. I'm also on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. If you want to contact our show, you can find us on the interwebs. We're at womenatwarp.com. You can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com or you can comment on our Facebook, facebook.com slash womenatwarp or on our Twitter at womenatwarp or leave us a review on iTunes, which helps other people find us and we always appreciate the feedback. So thanks so much for joining us whenever you're listening. Of course, creatures such as these come with troubles of their own. Women are the same throughout the galaxy, aren't they? <laughs>